Church Dads podcast. Join Mark Haas and Curtis Ketty as they discuss faith, family, liturgy, current events, and fatherhood. Be a part of the discussion by emailing churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. Now, here are the dads. Happy November! This is the Church Dads Podcast, and I am Mark Haas, co-pilot Curtis Ketty. Roger that. And we are on episode five. Whoa! And we are in the beginnings of November, and so quite naturally, fitting with the church here, we are celebrating today the saints, the communion of saints... And um, just the idea of heroes in general and, and uh, fatherhood and saints and heroes and how it all sort of ties together. <laughs> and uh, I thought it would be a great time to talk about the communion of saints, Curtis, as on November 1st, we celebrated All Saints Day. That's right. A beautiful, exciting feast in the church, um, ancient feast. So, Yeah. Um, and your your parish has one of the newer saints as that's right um, as the headlining figure, Saint John Paul II. Um, are you like the first? Saint. Are you the first Saint John Paul II Catholic Church in the United States? No, no, no. I think uh, oh. quite a few popped up, and um, there's schools. You know, I actually attended graduate school at John Paul the Great Catholic University, so before oh, he was well, a saint. So he was already getting named after things mm-hmm. before he was officially placed on the list of calendared saints, which is what canonization is. So, Yes. Oh, we'll get yeah. into all that. That's good oh, stuff. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yes, we're going to talk about saints. Before we do, you know, Curtis, we just have passed Halloween. Right. And as fathers with young children... Halloween is hard to ignore. Yes. Um, It's crazy, Mark. I mean, Halloween, you know, this is what I feel like. I feel like what would the world be like if everybody celebrated Christmas Eve and then just skipped Christmas? You know what I mean? Like, the only significance Halloween has is that it precedes All Saints Day. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, And... It's like the world's gone mad. <laughs> we love we love Halloween. Um, we love dressing up, and uh, but then nobody nobody thinks twice about the next day. But Halloween is fun. There's some really fun things on Halloween. My kids like dressing up. What did your kids dress up this year? Um, our two oldest dressed up as the Flash, and uh, as Batgirl. And that uh, was Julian the Flash. Yes. <laughs> Okay. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't know what it's like in your house. Yeah, no. And then our youngest was, um, well, Renee and I. We, you know, I. You don't choose your costumes at some point in life, and I've reached that point. So I was Prince Eric <laughs> from The Little Mermaid, and Renee was um, Ariel. She has a very Ariel-esque singing voice, as you know, Curtis. Okay. And. Um, and so the baby, you know, was uh, Sebastian the Crab. Well, for about five minutes she was, and then she tore off that it's $40 se- costume. Is Sebastian a crab, or is he a lobster? No, he's a crab. Oh, he is? I guess I haven't mm-hmm. seen it enough. 
Um, well, that's very nice. You have a nice, happy Halloween family. Um, my family is not as put together as yours. Um, so uh, my oldest, he he's pretty much obsessed with numbers, all things numbers. And uh, so he wanted to dress up as the number five for Halloween. Try finding a costume unique. that's the number five. Yeah, so Amy had to to sew one. She made him a number five that he she could like the best. you know wear. She is. And then Caleb uh, wanted to dress up as Lightning McQueen. So since he's three, we just gave him a red T-shirt with the nu- <laughs> number ninety-five on it. There, <laughs> Kachow, you're Lightning McQueen. And then uh, our baby. Ella, well, she's not much of a baby anymore, like a year and a half. Uh, she was dressed up as Maple from uh, Tumbleleaf, which is the show from um, mm-hmm. online. So, and then uh, I don't know what Amy's dressing up as. I, I don't think, um, or I should say, Amy and I don't really dress up for Halloween. I think the best costume that I have is just the grumpy man who doesn't like to give away free candy all night to strangers. <laughs> I'm the grumpy man who turns off my porch light and just hides in the living room and hope that everyone just goes away. <laughs> well, you and Amy grew up, and maybe Halloween probably wasn't as prominent in the home. I don't know, right? Well, yeah, you know, in, in our traditions growing up, Halloween was like as pagan as you can get. And uh, like sort of dripping in the occult and <laughs> the darkness of, <laughs> of the devil. And um, if somebody said to us, no, 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 Halloween actually has its origins in the Catholic Church, we'd been like, exactly, <laughs> exactly right. That's why we even don't celebrate worse. it. Even um, yeah, even worse than the occult <laughs> is the Catholic Church, the horror of Babylon. So um, anyways, we didn't mm. celebrate Halloween too much, but we did dress up in our own homes, in the comfort of our mm-hmm. own homes. <laughs> we, yeah. yeah. So I, I just want to quickly mention one of my favorite I've seen this year, and we had a kind of a young adult, people with young kids Halloween party at my mom's house. And a parishioner came, and uh, it was the perfect I'm too busy for this mom costume. (laughs) So she had uh, the candy Smarties scotch taped to her jeans. (laughs) So what what do you think the costume was? Uh, Candy Smarties. I don't know. She has Smarty pants. Oh, Smarty, Smarty pants. pants. <laughs> I was like, a Pez dispenser. I was like, that's perfect. That's so perfect. Wow. You know, in Canada, Smarties are actually chocolate. They are, uh, they're like M&Ms, only that the, the candy coating is flavored. Like hmm. the different colors have different flavors. So that's what I thought Smarties were growing up. But oh. there you go. A little Canadian trivia for you today. Good. Well, you know, I mentioned our kids did some superhero dressing up, as many kids do. And um, so, you know, Jules was the Flash. He took that off in about 20 minutes because he was too hot. <laughs> Ricky was Batgirl. And we we all kind of grow up with these favorite uh, superheroes. Right. And we're going to be talking about the Saints later. But, you know, if you take the church out of the equation, really we're talking about heroes, so it's kind of fun to think about, like, growing up, I don't, you know, what are our favorite superheroes? What are our favorite uh, comic heroes or right. TV heroes or whatever? And and I think we go even deeper than that. I, I think we could ask ourselves, why do we respond to heroes? Mm-hmm. Like, what is it about a superhero 
that you know gets our blood pumping like why do we enjoy going to all these huge epic superhero films now it's like all of like our generation have grown up and we're all making money and so now everything's being marketed to us all these superhero films what was your what was your favorite superhero growing up mark uh my favorite superhero this tells a lot about you by the way so be careful how you answer Mm. (laughs) okay um i don't go as deep into the superhero life as maybe others do (laughs) of my generation so i grew up loving batman Ah, and, interesting. And not just any Batman, but the original show Batman. Like 1960s? Like yeah, Adam they, West? The reruns were always on TV, on Channel 11, and you got the screen um, transitions, da 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 you know. Sure, sure, the, sure. The pals and the, that, the Adam West. I loved the show. My favorite movie was the movie they made of it. Oh, yeah. Um, totally. Yeah, with Kitka and That's Penguin. Right. That's great. Woman. And yeah, and like the way that the villain's lair was always kind of filmed askew. I always mm-hmm. like that, like at an angle. Yep. But it's interesting you chose Batman because, of course, Batman has no superpowers. He's That's just right. very <clears throat> smart and very rich, <laughs> but like, yeah. and very tortured, right? Batman. Mm-hmm. I, my, my favorite superhero growing up was actually Superman. So you see, Superman, I, I really grew up loving. I loved the colors of Superman, I loved like just how. Um, bright it was. And I grew up, you're talking about original series Batman. I grew up with Christopher Reeve, Superman, you know, John Williams, you know, the roaring Superman theme and just loved it. Anyways, uh, like I think that our desire for heroes is very interesting. Like that, that we have this like fantasy about what if someone had these powers and was good and could save us from ourselves. And I, we talked about this in a previous episode, just about storytelling and like this mm-hmm. idea that we need saving. I think su- superheroes is like an extension of that for sure. But then if you really look at it, it tells us a lot about who we are, like the fantasies that we have about how we're being saved and who saves us. It tells us a lot about what we think about the human condition, what we think about power, um, wealth, you know, if we just had superpowers, if we just were as rich as Bruce Wayne, you know, then we could make a, a positive difference when in reality we would become like super villains probably <laughs> if we had yeah. these things. Um, and what's fascinating to me is that in Christianity, we have basically the opposite of what we think of as a hero. So, you know, you look at Superman, I think he'd be the ultimate, like, Christ figure, superhero. Mm-hmm. It's like what we would want a God-man to look like. You know, this he looks like a man, but he has the powers of a God, and, like, he's invulnerable, and he can fly and do all these incredible things. And in reality, you know, when God does become a man, it's not like that at all. In the Actually, this is really interesting. It's probably just a coincidence, but in uh, in iconography, so like the Eastern Rite icons, mm-hmm. you know, they you don't they say you don't paint an icon, you write an icon because it's painted theology, right? You're painting everything in the icon is theology, even the colors. They have to pray before they choose each color, and in all the icons of Christ, what you have, the colors are very significant. What you have is Christ is often wearing a red tunic, like a red shirt, 
which symbolizes his divinity. But over top of the red is like a blue cloak. And blue is often the representation of humanity. So it's like divinity clothed in the weakness of humanity. Like, that's how Christ comes. When you look at Superman, if you think of him as like a modern icon, you know, he, is, he has a blue shirt. You know, he's a human, but he's clothed. He has this red cape. He's like clothed in divinity. He has all of this power. You know, he's a human who has power. Where, where Christ, Jesus, when he comes, he's actually a God who has emptied himself of power. And he actually comes to suffer and to die. And it's totally not what we'd expect, not what we would write, not what we would make up. I mean, the fact that the God of the universe would become an infant that needs to have his diaper changed. You know, I don't feel like I really grasped that until I had an infant in my arms and saw how helpless he, this infant was. Like, that was God. God actually did that. Um, and so that, that, sets the, that sets the scene, because Christianity is full of that. It's like countercultural, totally opposite of what we expect. And when we think of the heroes of the church or the saints, you know, they, they resemble Christ. Like, they... They look like him. I mean, that's what a saint is. That's what holiness is. We are conformed to the image of Christ. So that's why, you know, it's really cool because here we are on Halloween dressing up like our heroes, our superheroes. And the very next day, we're confronted with what real heroes look like, which is not Batman. <laughs> it's not Superman. It's actually like the opposite. Excellent. You're segueing, segueing perfectly <laughs> into our next section. This is Church Dad's podcast. We're celebrating the saints today, the communion of saints, um, and talking about what saints are. And we have a special guest later in the show who uh, has a thought or two um, about the communion of saints. And we also are going to close today with another question and answer period, which I thought would be fun. Saint-themed? Um, uh, yes. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Very good. Why not? <laughs> so... This is the Church Dads Podcast. Hang with us, and we will be back. Join the show discussion. Email the dads at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. Follow the dads at facebook.com slash churchdadspodcast. Be a part of a revolution to empower the Christian family. This is the Church Dads Podcast. Welcome back to Church Dads Podcast. We are talking about the saints today. and um, But before we do, Curtis, I, ha I found something interesting the other day. Okay. One of my favorite websites, epicpew.com. <laughs> they always have uh, very witty kind of articles about the church and various topics. And since we're a show about dads who are active within the church, I thought this particular article was great. It was talking about um, dad jokes, you know, which yeah. are often in the form of puns, which you absolutely love, I know. Yes, it's true. So I had to pick out a few just no. to see you cringe. Oh, boy. <clears throat> oh, just some of my favorites. Okay, so this is from Epic Pew. Uh, for instance, here's one, here's one. 
I don't like incense jokes. They are just thurible. No. No. <laughs> and how it makes sense if we pronounced it terrible. But <laughs> thurible doesn't... It's not close enough. It's not a good enough pun, Mark. That's a groaner. How about this one? Okay. Let, me, let me give you one, Mark. All right. What do you call a letter with a beard who is preaching false doctrine? I don't know. A hairy C. <laughs> okay. Mary arrived at the pearly gates and immediately said, I assume this is no. heaven. No, no, no. Yeah. But you get to laugh at yours. and Well, no, because cause come on, Mark. The pearly gates, that's not until the new heavens and the new earth. <laughs> How is a priest required to freshen his breath? For mass, don't say it with, with a vest mint. <laughs> no, okay, we're gonna edit all this out, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, I'll stop there. Yeah. <clears throat> we move on with the saints, <laughs> of which both of us are still striving for. Right, it's a life journey. It's a life journey. So we're talking about Halloween, um, and we mentioned in the first segment how Halloween. You, you were sort of talking tongue in cheek to it, but Halloween does have its Christian roots. Um, it's Catholic's roots, and and you'll notice that Halloween always happens on the eve of All Saints' Day, um, thus really making it more of All Hallows' Eve, which is probably, what, the original terminology, right, Curtis? Right, right. Sort of gotten shortened over time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, All Saints' Day originally was just a, a feast celebrated in the Diocese of Rome. It wasn't worldwide. And... Uh, Actually, during the first three centuries of Christianity, as many people know, you know, there was a lot of persecutions in the church. Like, these early Christians were being killed, and um, very early on, like, the remains were being, like, venerated, like, taken and, and kept as sort of these sacred relics of these mm-hmm. of these martyrs who died. And we talked about that in a recent episode, too, about what is a relic, and, you know, these were... These were like the remains of these holy men and women. And so they would be venerated um, in different communities in Rome in particular where they died. But um, eventually, after a few centuries, like there was just so many. At the end of the, the third century, beginning of the fourth century, it got really, really bad. I think the, it was Emperor Diocletian. He was the worst one. They thought he was the Antichrist. Like they thought it was the end of time. Like, he was just killing, like, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Christians. Like, imagine. We're, we're so comfortable now. But, like, this is what was taking place. And so it became impossible to commemorate all of their deaths, like, to really remember each one. And so I believe it was in the middle of the 4th century um, or the 5th century is when the Pope declared in Rome that there was going to be a day where we were going to celebrate all the saints, all the saints who had died. It wasn't until Christianity was legalized and they sort of took over like the, the Roman worship that they actually went to this church in Rome, which Mark and I have been to. It's amazing. It's called the Pantheon. And that was a, like a temple in the Roman religion to celebrate all the gods. It was like, you know, all the gods would be displayed and celebrate all these false gods. Well, when Christianity became legal, 
they took that church or that temple and they they almost like they baptized it. And they said, no longer is this going to be a temple to the gods. This is going to be a church where we recognize all the saints, all the saints who died. And so from that day, they began to celebrate every year all saints, you know, all the saints that we don't know, like all the saints who are with God in heaven, those unknown saints. We haven't kept good enough lists, but here they all are. We're going to celebrate them today. And then um, it wasn't until in the 800s, it was about 200 years later, that um, Gregory IV, Pope Gregory IV, opened it wide to the entire universal church and moved it to November 1st. So from the 800s on, November 1st became the day that we remember and celebrate all of the saints. And so the, the night before, it became All Hallows' Eve, and then um, it was... It was about 100 years later that they said, well, let's not forget all those people who have died, you know, who are maybe not perfectly purified yet, who are, who are being purified and soon to be in heaven, those souls in purgatory. Let's have a day for them as well. And so that was November 2nd, All Souls. So you have um, All Saints Day and All Souls Day right next to each other. And I think that it being in November, you know, that... the, the 31st of October was always kind of like a harvest. There was a pagan celebration on that day, but it too, like the Pantheon, became like baptized and became a holy um, anticipation of all saints. So, you know, for me, for our house, I'm happy to celebrate Halloween, but it I'd never want it to be a greater celebration than what we do on the 1st of November. It was really great foresight by the early church. You know, they're trying to venerate every martyr or any uh, Christian worthy of sainthood, but it becomes impossible even today. So, you know, essentially, there's a lot of people, I think, have the misconception that the saints are the canonized saints, but that's such a minimal fraction, at least right. we think. There's only think, 365 to, days in a year. I know. Um, that's such a small fraction to the saints that there actually are witnessing the beatific vision. And we just don't know who or what or when. I mean, we can pray and hope. But All Saints is for those, yeah, that we, can, we can't cover them all down here on earth. Right. And the teaching of the communion of saints, it's a very, it's a very hopeful teaching of the Church, and it really um, it adds up when you think about it. Because if there were not saints to pray with, I, I say pray with, because saints, they're like our prayer partners. Um, so we're not praying to, or we're not asking for um, grace from saints. But the saints are just, um, if there weren't um, saints to pray with, then basically we would be saying that death wins. Well, I think that that belies a misunderstanding of what we even mean by death. I think that even a lot of Christians think that death is when the body dies and the soul goes wherever, and that's death. But that's not the scriptural understanding of death. I mean, in the scripture, death was separation. It was, you know, Sheol. It was the underworld. It was the forgotten land where you become disconnected, separated from humanity and from God. You are lost. And since Christ, I mean, when when someone dies in Christ, they go where he is. And that is not a land of forgetfulness and of disconnection, of separation. You know, that death has been defeated. You know, we we go to be with God. And, you know, that communion of saints 
this is another huge truth. We often sort of delineate like those in heaven or those with God as though they're like a separate entity, but they're still as much a part of the church, a part of what we are, like the church, as someone you can see across from you in in mass, like across from the pew. You know, we're, we are as connected. They are triumphant in heaven, but they're still part of the one church. There's only one church. And so just like we can pray for each other, they can pray for me. And if we really do believe that we are one body in Christ, then it gets even more deep. I think the catechism talks about how the communion of saints is not just a communion of persons, like all gathered together, but it's also a communion of holy things. Yeah, and this practice of venerating saints, as you were mentioning, it predates so much in the Christian world, including Scripture. And you were mentioning the 300s, the 400s. Um, that's right around when Scripture was canonized, what, like 397? Right, the canon of Scripture was put together at that time. I mean, we already had the books of the New Testament being read in the liturgy, but it hadn't been like definitively established for the universal right. church, yeah. And one of these saints who was martyred um, was, you know, writing to the emperor of Rome at the time, and this is Justin Martyr. And, <laughs> was he a uh, martyr? <laughs> he was basically... Sa- <laughs> yeah, it's in his, it's in his name now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he, you know, he's trying to stick up for the Christians, saying, look, we're not as crazy as they're saying we are. Stop killing us. And so he's describing them celebrating the Mass. And this is back in year 153, 155. Um, he says, Christ, whom you sent from heaven into the womb of a virgin and who dwelling within her was made flesh and was manifested as your son, born of the Holy Spirit and of the virgin. And then he goes on, he's talking about the mass, gather your people as one in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, your saints who participate. So this is like over 200 years before scripture was canonized. So this is something they've been doing a long time. And so venerating saints would not have been so foreign to the early church fathers. Right. And when we say venerate, I mean, we're not, it's not even in the same category as worship. I mean, it's like this honoring. Right. I, th- I think a really good right. example I heard once was like how we have pictures of our family up on the wall or pictures mm-hmm. of family who have died up on the wall. Like in William's room, I have pictures of my father who died so that he can see his grandfather. He's never met him, but he knows who he is. He knows all about him. You know, his grandfather is a part of his life in a way. And, of course, we believe also that Grandpa Jim is praying for us, you know, that he's still connected to us. He's not disconnected. So, yeah, this idea of veneration was honoring those who went before us. I mean, it's a very scriptural principle, too. I think because we, we get a lot of objections as Catholics to the veneration of the saints, like you're taking away the glory from Jesus, you know, you're putting all these extra mediators in there, like why do you have to talk to a saint? Just go directly to Jesus. And But right there in Scripture, like it says in, uh, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians um, 1, 11, 1, he says, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. So I'm imitating Christ. I want you to imitate me, imitating Christ. You know, why do we need Paul? Why can't we just imitate Christ? You know, because he's saying, look, I know what situation you're in. Look at my life. I'm in a similar situation. Follow what I'm doing. I'm imitating Christ. Um, And we're encouraged to pray for one another. And 
and support one another. And this is what Jesus asked us to do. So I think it's very scriptural and beautiful for us to venerate the saints, to imitate them, to ask for their intercessions, and to even have special um, sort of uh, friends among the saints that we are especially close to. You know, sometimes it might be off-putting if you go into a Catholic church or something and you see somebody like kneeling to a statue or kissing a statue, and I, I mean, I, I guess I could see... <laughs> that is a little off-putting. <laughs> it, it, would, it, would, it would look a little strange, but we're just remembering that person. It's not like we're worshiping them. I mean, you, you got to think of the word pray. Pray does not mean worship. Pray simply just means to ask. Right. We're just asking to of beg. something. Yeah. Um, we're at, and it's like that picture you mentioned. If I pull out a picture out of my wallet of my wife and kids and I kiss it, you know, Somebody's going to look at that, and they're going to—they're not going to be weirded out. Idolatry. Right? They're, they're, yeah, I know they're going to say, "Oh, he loves his wife and kids." They're not going to say, "Ooh, he's worshiping." Yeah. You the know, paper. that's not your wife and kids, right? That's just a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. ah. Right. So anyway, there's so many great saints to read up on, and then there's, of course, maybe millions of saints that we don't even know are saints to to think about every day in our prayers. Right. We see a cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 12, yes. verse 1, and we see prayers to the saints in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. We see a hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, and of course, James chapter 5, uh, prayers of a righteous person are most yes. effective. So why not choose a prayer partner who is seeing God face-to-face -face right now? And those are simply the people we call the saints. Right. This is the Church Dads podcast. We're happy to hang with you all during this frigid November. And we hope you are having a lovely, um, well, what's beginning of winter. But stick around with us. In the third segment, we are uh, having a lovely guest, of which Curtis knows very well. And later we will be uh, having some question and answer time, some to which deal with the saints. Stick with us. This is the Church Dads Podcast. Now when the saints marching in, I win the saints Like what you hear? Have a question concerning family, fatherhood, or faith? Email the dads at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. Be a part of the discussion as we seek to strengthen our Christian witness in the home. This is the Church Dads Podcast. Welcome back to Church Dads. This is the Church Dads Podcast. And um, we are joined now by a special guest who is uh, a church father of sorts. This is Father Andrew Strobel joining us from St. John Paul II Parish. Um, oh my gosh. Olathe... Kansas, yes, ha, okay, Ooh, and good this job. is a brand, a brand new parish. Uh, well, it's only yeah, about two years old, and it's in still in the works. Many of its, you know, construction even it's, uh, it's all it's all brand new. So, Father, welcome um, to the show, and uh, happy to have you. Awesome. You know, I actually I work at a parish called Saint John Paul II. Is is that? Are you my boss? <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, Jesus is both our boss. Um, but yeah, no, technically I do. 
uh, <laughs> run this place a little bit. It's awesome to have Curtis working here out of the garage of the rectory with the rest of the staff. I work at home, and so does all my all of my coworkers work at home <laughs> yes. with me. It's great. Okay. Yeah. So we're talking today about uh, All Saints Day, Halloween, heroes, superheroes, and then the heroes of the church, the saints. So, you know, I thought, who better to bring out here to talk about the saints than, you know, my saintly pastor, Father Andrew. <laughs> um, and so I'll just throw this out to you, and um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. How would you define a saint? What is a saint? Well, a saint is someone who's uh, been reborn in Jesus Christ, that they share in the life of Christ. They've been made part of his body, uh, the, the church. And, and, and of course, we make the distinction that the saints that are in heaven, part of the, what we would call the communion of saints, are those who uh, share in the victory eternally with uh, Christ that are uh, never going to have that taken away because they've already uh, passed into heaven. Um, but then, of course, too, like Paul speaks of saints as the holy ones of God. So uh, we try to live saintly lives now. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but what would you say, like, you know, the word saint, mm. what does the word saint mean? Because I find that, like, as Catholics, Christians, you know, we use words all the time without mm-hmm. really pondering their true meaning. And so, yeah, we have the saints, we have the communion of saints, we want to live saintly lives. But what is it, what is it to be a saint? What does a saint even mean? One thing I appreciate about Curtis, before I answer the question, is that he always loves, and I do mean this, getting to the root of words. And uh, the way I've been taught, the understanding, uh, our understanding of saint comes actually from the French word for holy. And of course, in, in Latin, it's sanctus, right? Like at mass, when we say holy, 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 that's sanctus, sanctus, sanctus. And a saint is someone who is holy, but they're made holy uh, by that life of Christ, that grace of God in them. And another way to understand holiness, of course, is being consecrated, being set apart for this particular purpose, to live for Jesus Christ, to uh, to truly be on fire with love for him and to reflect his love in the same way that Jesus said, um, you know, if we've seen him, we've seen the Father. So too, if we've seen a saint, we've seen Jesus Christ. Um, in that sense, like, saint is so much more than just someone who's just worthy of our attention or our honor or just our recognition. They're the victors. They're, in a, in a sense, another Christ. Uh, they've lived the same life that we're called to live, but they've done it to the full. They, uh, they've had that life in abundance that our Lord promised, and they've also finished the race. They've won it, uh, as St. Paul says. So, yeah, saint, uh, the word itself should call to mind, you know, something so epic, Right, I mean, on just such a grand scale, but also is lived out in the very real mess of of our lives each day. Uh, we have the opportunity to also be saints. So we we want to honor them, but also we don't want that distance to think that that's something just because they're set apart. It's something I can't be set apart for. Also, all of us have the vocation, the call from God to holiness to become a saint. As somebody who sort of lives the liturgy of the church in a very uh, profound way as a priest. You know, what if if someone just came off the street, you know, who maybe has never been to mass, just sort of knows just an average a bit an average amount about, you know, Christianity or Catholic theology and said, you know, I'm celebrating Halloween and somebody just told me that this is just like a pre-celebration for tomorrow, this All Saints Day. What what is All Saints Day? What would you say? 
So All Saints Day is the church's way of uh, having an incredible celebration uh, and thanksgiving to God for his work in the life of the saints, that they have won this victory. They've uh, surrendered their lives, died to themselves, lived for Jesus Christ, and we do that um, all together. You know, at every Mass, all the angels and saints are there with us. Like we enter into this liturgy that it that transcends just earth. It's the heavenly liturgy that we're participating in as well. And the saints are there. Um, you know, one way that I've heard it put is like to just imagine all those empty seats at, at mass. Now, I hope most of our churches don't have too many empty seats, but if there are any, like to imagine the saints are like right there with us, filling up those spaces, even if we can't see them. You know, All Saints Day is this celebration together as the church that it's a liturgical honoring of the saints uh, collectively that were uh, that are on display as some some goal that we're supposed to try to achieve too to join them but also to in a radical way remember like we're already united with them they're the church triumphant in heaven and we're the church on earth church militant but uh we're, we're united in christ we are one body and uh, it, it's just so awesome. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Mass, because it really is heaven on earth. And this is something I like to tell friends of mine. Anytime the subject of um, Holy Day of Obligation comes up, or Sunday Mass Obligation, and I'll say, you know who never, never misses Mass? Mm-hmm. Are possibly, God willing, maybe some of your loved ones who've passed on. The saints never miss Mass, and they're always there waiting for us to celebrate Mass with us, and uh, we are united through our common baptism. You were referencing Hebrews 10, that we are all, mm-hmm. we've all been made holy through Jesus Christ, so we are all set apart through our common baptism, but I, I'm glad you brought up the Mass, because we, are, we all sing with all the saints in glory, and um, that's a great point. <clears throat> So, Father, we were talking earlier about our favorite saints. Uh, who Who is your favorite saint? And you do not need to say St. John Paul II, just because you're pastor. <laughs> I, I do. I love St. John Paul II. Um, I love St. Maximilian Kolbe, uh, not just because my middle name is Max, but because uh, he is, to me, the example of a priest uh, to the height. I mean... I, I look at him, I look at his zeal for spreading the gospel with whatever media means he could get his hands on. His devotion to Our Lady uh, has inspired me to have a greater devotion to Mary. Um, and his laying down his life for a family is what I think all priests are called to do, to to lay down our lives so that the domestic church can, can flower. Also, I love St. Gregory the Great. Um, he was an amazing pope, able to uh, do so much when he, for most a lot of his pontificate. He was sick in bed. I love... Uh, St. Mary of Jesus crucified. She was an Arab, a Palestinian saint uh, who was a Carmelite who lived like a generation before St. Therese of Lisieux um, and had a lot of outward miraculous stuff goes on, but she looks like she could be my sister biologically. She has a nice square face and I love that. And I got to, <laughs> I got to live in Bethlehem right next to where her body is. Uh, her karma, well, right before uh, she was canonized to saint by Pope Francis, where she was still just a blessed, um, while I was in seminary. So I could go on. I like a lot of saints. Um, you know, recently the staff here at St. John Paul II, we got to go visit the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Kolbe. Um, Father, would you mind just briefly summarizing, you know, the story of St. Maximilian Kolbe? Because I don't know if many of our listeners would be totally familiar with his story. 
Sure. St. Maximilian Kolbe is one of the three great uh, 20th century Polish saints, along with St. John Paul II and St. Faustina. Uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe, when he was young, had this um, vision of Our Lady offering him two different color crowns, a red crown that represents martyrdom, shedding blood for Jesus Christ, and a white crown representing purity, uh, you know, dying to himself to live, uh, chase purity for Jesus Christ. And he was offered a choice. Which one do you want? He wanted both. And then he grew up uh, to be, uh, become a Franciscan um, and then ordained a priest. Um, he celebrated his first mass on the altar uh, in a church in Rome that has the only approved Marian apparition that ever happened in Rome itself, um, he es- established the Militia Immaculata, uh, Mary's army, um, it, to cultivate a deeper devotion to Jesus Christ through Mary along the, uh, the lines of like St. Louis de Montfort as well. Um, and St. John Paul II picked up on that. Uh, Mother Teresa, I understand. I haven't gotten this confirmed for sure, so I shouldn't say it on your podcast. But I understand Mother Teresa had her uh, sisters, the Missionary of Charity, do their consecration to Mary according to the formula that St. Maximilian Kolbe laid out. He um, served in Poland, of course. He engaged uh, the printing press in such an incredible way, doing a ton of mass communication um, through newspapers and, and pamphlets and all of that to try to spread the gospel. He spent some time in Japan also uh, doing wonderful things for Christ there. And back in Poland, he established what was called Marytown, um, which was this uh, friary that was just this center of apostolic zeal for all these different friars um, to be sent out. But he lived during the time of World War II, and he um, was arrested under the Nazi occupation um, because he was a Catholic priest. um, And he was sent to Auschwitz, the prison camp. And while he was in Auschwitz, there was a man who tried to escape and so the Nazis were going to then punish uh, 10 men by putting them to death to set them an example to uh, try to prevent anyone else from trying to escape. And um, St. Maximilian was not one of the 10 that was chosen, um, but instead he offered himself up when one of the men said that he had a family. And St. Maximilian Colby said, I'm a Catholic priest. And they agreed to take him instead. So he traded places with this man and he uh entered into the starvation bunker with the other nine. And instead of like cries of despair, um, the reports are is that there was just psalms being sung, praises being offered to God during this horrific time. And he was the last one to die because all the other men uh, after it died before him, and then he was um, given a lethal injection. And he's actually the patron saint of drug addicts um, and a powerful intercessor for those who are who are in prison themselves uh, by addiction. And he has been recognized by the church as a martyr of charity. He laid down his life for the love of his neighbor. And so our Lord's two great commandments, love of God and love of neighbor, are personified in St. Maximilian Kolbe. That is a, a powerful story. And um, this is great. This is, uh, this is Father Andrew Strobel, who's with us from St. John Paul II Parish, and um, this is a great kickoff the second half of the show. And the fourth segment is one of our favorites, is when we dive into some really great questions and um, hopefully some really great answers. So stick with us. Yeah, <laughs> no you never know. That's right. So stick with us. This is the Church Dads Podcast. Email the dads at churchdadspodcast.com at gmail.com 
This is the Church Dads Podcast. Welcome back to Church Dads. We move on to our question and answer segment of the show, and we still have with us Father Andrew Strobel from St. John Paul II Parish um, in Kansas. So, several questions. Well, we have three questions. And so, uh, the first one, uh, really the first two deal with saints and uh, the the whole process of, um, well, this one dealing with the canonization of saints. So, this specific question is, what is the process that the church takes to canonize a saint? To officially say, this person is with God, seeing the beatific vision in heaven, and we can publicly um, honor this person in various ways. Canonization. Take go. it away, boys. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Canonization, go. Canonization is the process that the church uses um, to declare someone a saint. The word canonization comes from uh, the word canon, which means list. So the canonization process is actually uh, our way as a church to discern who is on the list of who's in heaven. Now, that's an important list to have, right? Because those who are on the list of who's in heaven could have a feast day that we honor. We say that they're raised to the altars, meaning that they can have a feast day, that also their relics, um, you know, pieces of uh, their bone or, you know, blood. Like we have a first-class relic of St. John Paul II in our parish are worthy of veneration even in an altar. Uh, so we say they're raised to the altars. But the canonization process is important because it's a list of those who have shared in the victory of Christ now for eternity in heaven, uh, just real quick, we don't have uh, the same corresponding list for hell, right? Like we don't have a canon of hell. We only have a canon for uh, the victors, the ones in, in heaven. And the reason we have this list is because they've shown us that they're there. Like the canonization process is this process of the church's uh, using its authority to declare officially someone's in heaven based on the evidence that they're there. And the way it works is, you know, someone... Uh, lives a holy life, and others take notice of that, uh, not because they're pointing to themselves, but because they so point to Christ that others see Christ in them, and their life has been set apart. Uh, when you see them, it's like meeting Jesus Christ. Like, they're the answer to that question from like 20 years ago, what would Jesus do, right? <laughs> like, look at, a, look at the saints. They'll show you what Jesus would do in any time and space that they live. Well, after they die... Uh, usually there's some sort of honor that's starting to happen for this person who has died, and an official investigation can be called for by a bishop. And so for someone to uh, get on the road to become a saint, to actually be canonized, there's a number of steps first that include um, having heroic virtue, being uh, named venerable, venerated then, worthy of veneration, uh, being beatified, made a blessed. And then finally, the last step is being made a saint, being canonized. And when someone's canonized, it's because we have enough proof based on what we know about their life and what we know about them in heaven. And the evidence we have of heaven and their involvement there is that their intercession has led to miracles on earth. And it's amazing um, to consider that like some saints, like St. Therese of Lisieux, she even had that outlook even on earth that in heaven, she wanted to spend her heaven doing good on earth. Well, the saints do that. Their witness uh, to us on earth is so powerful, but their intercession in heaven produces miracles. And that's the ultimate proof that, uh, that they're worthy of being venerated as a saint. 
And I think it's it's always good to make clear that it's not only the canonized saints that are in heaven. You know, these are just the ones that we hold up for universal veneration, recognition, and imitation, but that there are so many saints that we don't know of, which is why a feast like All Saints Day is so important, because that's the day that we recognize all the saints. Um, so, I because I've come across people sometimes who complain, it's like, what gives the church the right to, to let people into heaven or not? You know, like as though when we declare someone a saint, that's when they get into heaven, as opposed to like recognizing that they are already there. You know, we're discerning their presence there. We're not letting them in or, or, you know, if we took someone off the list, which has happened, like someone has been taken off that official list, that doesn't mean that they're getting kicked out of heaven. Um, you know, yeah. am I on the right track there, father? As most always, Curtis, you're uh, on the right track. Uh, <laughs> for sure. No, it, it's not a matter of the, of this canon being an exhaustive list. That's not what the church is trying to do. What we do is want to, we want to honor the work of God. We want to honor the fruit that he's bearing in the lives of his, uh, of his people, of his church, and the saints being victorious um, by finishing the race to the end, um, being in heaven with Jesus Christ, are worthy of that recognition. But of course, it's not everybody. And that is, as Curtis mentioned, why we celebrate the Feast of All Saints Day. Um, but it's an interesting uh, opportunity we have so that when someone dies, like our loved ones, when they pass, we have this responsibility to pray for them because our prayers still help. Like that desire, that persistence that our Lord calls us to, uh, like in the Gospel of Luke, right? Like that we got to keep knocking. Um, that perseverance that we're called to have somehow in this beautiful, mysterious way in the church, united in love of Christ helps those who have already died and will go to heaven, but right now need our help with their purification. And it's a great disposition to have to keep praying for someone who's died until they're canonized the saint. Then we can ask for their prayers officially. But, you know, if you want to ask for prayers of people who you don't know if they're in heaven or not, that's fine, but still pray for them. That's awesome. Okay. See, you guys are great. See, they can't see what I can see, but you two are like in the catacombs of... I guess the rectory or something. Like it's like a basement. All right, we we move on. Oh, somewhat still related to saints here. Um, Do Catholics pray to dead people? Short answer no and yes. Wait, (laughs) no. No, no, we don't. Uh, As we know, our Lord's actually very clear that God is the God of the living. Um, and those who have gone before us that are united in Christ at the moment of their death, right? So they're uh, in a state of grace, we would say. They're united to Christ. They've been uh, reborn in Him. They're actually one with Him and made a member of His body, the church. When they die, they're not dead. They're still alive. Um, for us in, in our prayers at a funeral mass, we actually have one of the prayers saying, life is changed, not ended. So technically we would say, no, reality is, is that they're not dead who ask for their prayers. Now, from our perspective, yes, they have physically died, but they're still alive in Christ. That's why I said no and yes. And Curtis mm-hmm. got upset at me. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, and it's, it's a really important distinction to make because you know, we're not just honoring someone who lived a long time ago, maybe, who's uh, worthy of recognition. Like we can go and tour, you know, great cities that have statues of the founders, or you go to Washington, D.C. in the United States, and you go to the presidential monuments. I mean, yes, we're saying they're worthy of honor, 
but we're also saying they're before the throne of God right now. And like the book of Revelation talks about, their prayers are like incense before God, and we are still united to them in the church. Like they're part of the body of Christ, we're part of the body of Christ, we are one in Jesus Christ. They truly are our brothers and sisters. And so we're asking them to help us stay united to Christ. And I think, you know, often the objection is, like in the Old Testament, it says explicitly not to try to communicate with the dead, mm-hmm. right? And like I feel like there's a huge difference between, you know, asking for the intercession of the saints who we're connected to by being one with Christ in our baptisms, and, you know, participating in a seance. Oh, you know? for sure. Like, how would you, how would you distinguish those? Yeah, it's not breaking the first commandment, first of all, because we're not trying to go outside of God and somehow manipulate God like magic does, right? So prayer appeals to God, but it doesn't try to control God, right? Magic tries to control the supernatural. And that's where when we ask the saints for our prayers, we're appealing to them to appeal for us to God because they're our brothers and sisters, because they're before God, because we're united with them still as the church. We're not trying to do what uh, is forbidden by God against the first commandment um, by trying to like do the work of some sort of medium or something to talk to the dead in that way and gain some secret knowledge or have some sort of access to those who have gone before us in death that we shouldn't have. We're simply trying to ask them to bring us closer to Christ. It's a fulfillment of the first commandment, not uh, a rejection of the first commandment to somehow have a relationship with the dead outside of Christ. So, yeah, that's a really important distinction because I could see how that could be misunderstood. And we, of course, want to take seriously uh, the effects of the occult in the world. And that is not what we're trying to encourage by encouraging devotion to the saints. Excellent. Yeah. And if anyone's listening and have ever even the least bit delved into tarot cards and seance stuff and get away from that as quickly as you possibly can and run somewhere, run to the church or to the confessional or something, because that's, that is a real thing and it is dangerous. Anyway, good. Excellent, Father. Love it. <clears throat> so this third question is really great, and it's a little awkward to ask, um, since My we favorite. have this, you know, since we have this honorable Father Andrew with us. Question three, doesn't the Bible say, the Bible, Father, doesn't the Bible say... <laughs> Call no man father. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, it does say that in the Gospel of Matthew, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Yes. So to answer your question, yes, it says that. <laughs> uh, for those listening... We that was to... church dads. Have a wonderful <laughs> week. No. We'll see. No. For those of you listening, uh, we this is completely cold. Uh, Father's not heard these questions at all. So, well, what do you, you know. say? I answered your question. That's what you did. <laughs> you were right. It was Matthew chapter 23, verse oh, 9. Sweet. That's right. <clears throat> yeah, it's awesome. So uh, we don't uh, like disobey Jesus Christ when we call priests father or we call uh, one another uh, brothers and sisters in Christ or anything like that or call one another teacher if you have a teacher, um, just as calling a biological father father or dad is not breaking... Um, is not being disobedient to our Lord's command there. When Jesus is saying, call no man father, we we call no one else God. We also, uh, we have only one father, our heavenly father. And priests aren't supposed to be a replacement for the heavenly father. We're called father because we 
only can be considered a, a spiritual father, just as you guys are biological fathers. And just like the whole motivation for this podcast is being <laughs> dads, right? In the church is because it comes from the heavenly father. Our identity, either as biological or spiritual fathers, always points back to God our Father. So in that sense, yeah, if a priest doesn't point to our Heavenly Father, right, then he is not fulfilling the mission uh, that every time I'm reminded of to be a spiritual father, every time someone calls me Father Andrew. Um, just as, you know, in Scripture itself, when Abraham is referred to as Father Abraham, it's not now being disobedient to Jesus Christ, right? To refer to him as a father. It's all rooted in God, our heavenly father. So our Lord's command instruction there in the gospel of Matthew, we would read as meaning don't have a replacement for God, the father. And of course, in Jesus Christ, we take on the very relationship Jesus has with the father. So in the church, uh, we only have our identity because of Christ and because of his relationship with the father that we get to share. And so a priest then, um, serves as that spiritual father for the community, but only because the love of the heavenly father works through him. But I'm sure I, I, I would be curious if Curtis has anything to add to that. Uh, well, I would just say that I think, I mean, the context of that, uh, that statement by Jesus, he's talking to these Pharisees, these uh, religious leaders who have really placed themselves in a position of authority kind of an ultimate authority, you know, like interpreters of the law. And, um, you know, it's that ultimate authority that I think we have to struggle with. Like when we look at, when we, when I look at Father Andrew and I call him Father, I, I'm not calling him Father because I think that he has some sort of inherent authority all on his own. He is there um, as an icon of the Heavenly Father to me in a spiritual sense. And his authority that he does have has been given to him by Christ and, you know, that's, that, that's where that relationship comes from. It's not because he is wise or because he is, you know, special, like, on his own. Um, and that goes with us, too, Mark. You and me, as dads, our authority isn't just, you know, self-derived, but the children that we've been given authority over, that was a gift. And the authority that we have also comes from Christ. And we also are icons of the Heavenly Father to our children, as we've talked about in previous episodes. So it all flows from God. And as soon as you put something in the way of God, that's, I think, what Jesus is referring to when he says, call no man father, call no man teacher. You have one father, you have one teacher. So Joseph, Joseph is referred to as Jesus' father in Luke chapter 2. Paul calls himself the father of the faith in 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians. Paul refers to our father Isaac in Romans chapter 9. Stephen refers to our father Abraham in Acts chapter 7. God appoints Eliakim as father of the house of Israel. Father, 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 father. Call no man father. <clears throat> Bunch of fathers in there. <laughs> father Andrew, thank you for hanging with us. Um, Father Andrew, would you uh, give us your priestly blessing to finish the show off? For sure. May our Heavenly Father's face shine upon you. Our Lord Jesus Christ reign always in your heart. The Holy Spirit guide and protect you and all those that you have care for. And may our Blessed Mother Mary wrap you up and keep you in her mantle. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This is the Church Dads Podcast. Go home and love your families.
join the discussion by emailing the dads at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com and follow them on Facebook, facebook.com slash churchdadspodcast. Want to change the world? Go home and love your family.